during the time he was with us. Okay, this morning I want to talk about values. It's not something that I revisit regularly, but if you were being put through a DNA course or a, a, a kind of a get introduced to the church course, then everybody who would become a member of this church would at some point be given a teaching on the values of this local church. And um, we haven't been doing formal membership classes for quite a while. I think COVID interrupted that. But even before then, we haven't been hyper-diligent in doing members' courses. Part of the reason for that is because we're not overly committed to administration in terms of having a member's role and saying, you know, if your name's not on a piece of paper, then you're not a member. Because we truly think that the family of God is more a question of knitting of hearts. In other words, if you feel this is where God's called you to come every Sunday and fellowship and belong, and you are a believer, and, and then you're welcome and you knit your heart to us as a community through friendship and relationship, and you, you submit to the leaders that you see, the elders, out of a genuine desire to be a follower that follows those God has put in charge, that's already membership. Signing the form isn't going to change your heart. So some of you who felt excluded because we didn't give you a form to put your ID number on, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you feel excluded, but if you have felt this is where you want a fellowship, then you can just as well consider yourself a member as long as you're a believer and you're not living in some unrepentant sin because the elders also come to this community to protect it. But in any case, one of the things that happens over time is you discover that the values of a community is what causes you to enjoy hanging out together with them. And I would like to talk a little bit about values this morning in order to help you understand who we are as a church, but also to help you in your life to identify the kind of people that you should be connecting with. So before I go any further, I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll talk about this. Heavenly Father, as we talk about values this morning, I pray that you would clarify things in our hearts so that we could enjoy working with and committing to the people that you've called us to partner with in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Also wanted to, maybe I left something out there in what I was just saying. Some people who really enjoy TCC as a local church are also not able to commit in a way that uh, perhaps in a homogenous community people would commit because we're a very cosmopolitan and diverse people here and some of the people who fellowship here on Sundays are involved in other churches and other work and at times it demands that they can't be here. And so this English meeting is completely unique in that respect and the French meeting doesn't have that excuse so much. The Malagasy meeting definitely doesn't have that excuse. Those meetings can build towards a kind of a everybody has a hundred percent commitment and there's a, a homogenous identity belonging to one local church. But years ago God challenged me because I was getting irritated in this English forum where we had people who were not devoted to this local church and I felt like they, they weren't following my leadership and I was battling to understand who am I supposed to be pastoring. And God kind of said, you're not supposed to just be pastoring here, you're supposed to be refreshing. So just refresh people and they can come and go. 
and they will never give you the level of commitment that you want, but you must be a blessing to them. And that kind of broke my heart in the part of my heart that wanted to have this uh, tight community that everybody's committed together at the same time. That's kind of the church that I came out of in South Africa. It was wonderful, you know, it was great to all be on the same page. But I've learned that there's another part of wonderful in the body of Christ, and that's just being able to encourage one another. So in this community, let's keep that heart to one another, even those who aren't here every Sunday. When they're not, I assume they had to be somewhere else, but I assume if they could be here, they would be here because they'd enjoy being here. So that's, that's the nature of this congregation. But values, what are values? Um, in the dictionary it says values are your standards, your morals, your ethics, your ideals, your principles, your tenets, your beliefs. As a man thinks, or as a man believes, so is he. Another way to put this is, what you believe determines your actions. Someone else said, we only do what we believe. In other words, we can scrutinize ourselves and say, well, if I claim to believe in something, but I never do it, then I don't actually believe it. So you could say there's this inner rage inside of you going on this battle arguing am i uh, am, am i a generous person i think i'm a generous person i hope i'm a generous person i'm a nice person you know i'm pretty generous and then if you look at your actual spreadsheet of your finances and you're giving a tenth of one percent away each year then you're probably not a generous person it's like, I don't mean into the tithes and offerings, I mean at all, ever, anywhere in your life. If you, you can feel generous, but if you don't ever give anything away, you're not generous. So you, you actually see there's this disconnect between what we think we are sometimes and what we really are. And so if you want to know what you believe, then look at what you're doing, what your actions are. And that's, I think, what James was on about when he wrote to people and said, faith without works is dead. He didn't mean that... We should go into this deep discussion about s salvation and saving faith or whether you're saved by works or any of that. He was just saying, if you really believe, then you'll do. That's the point. So values are an expression of beliefs. And your worldview is determined by the set of values that you hold. I want to make it a little more practical and say, the reason you and I don't get on as well as we could is because our values aren't as closely aligned as they could be. So we could get on better with each other if our values were more closely aligned. And I'm not saying I'm not getting on with Misa, I get on alright with him. But this whole idea of values is, values is much simpler than these big words of, you know, what was it, morals, ethics, principles. No, values are just the things you consider important. What's important to you? What's valuable to you? And so, when you, when you look at values and you start start to ask yourself what do I consider important well it's your values that will allow you to connect closely with someone else so let's say you're a young guy and you are dating a girl and it's kind of maybe heading towards a kind of courtship and you're thinking would I want to spend my life with this person let me just warn you the question is not how much I mean, this is one of the questions. Is there chemistry? Is there attraction? Is there, you know, do you get on with, do you like the other person's sense of humor? Those are important questions. But another question is, what are your values? Because if 
The one of the two is values generosity. Again, as an example, if my wife is super generous, she values generosity highly, but I don't, if that's the case, and that's not a confession, it's not, I hope it's not the truth, <laughs> but if that were the case, then in our marriage, we would battle to connect there, because I would earn money and then watch her give it away to people I don't care about, and it would irritate me. It would irritate me because I don't want that money to leave and be given to somebody else and I don't feel generous and she's taking this money and enjoying giving it and she's generous. So if one of the two of you is more generous than the other, that will become a little bit of a point of friction within your relationship. Now, I'm not saying who's wrong and who's right, except the more generous person probably has more scripture backing for their value than the less generous person. And so it's, it's important to know what your values are because if you haven't worked out what's important to you, you won't realize why it is you're not getting on with someone, you're not getting on with them because they don't consider something you consider important to be important. And so I, I think even within unity between couples and marriages, it's important to learn to value some of the same things. And that can be learned. You can, you can decide. I'm going to show an interest and elevate the value of this. Like I, Sue is a um, crazy good kitchen queen. She can make stuff, bake stuff. And at some point in my life I had to recognize that feeds her with a sense of purpose and value. And she can bless others through that gift. So how would I, who maybe didn't value that in my life, adopt that value? Well, I could go and just start to invest in it. Buy her a Kenwood Chef, because it's better than a KitchenAid. I'm just kidding, it's just personal product preferences. Make sure she's got nice things there to bake with and to cook with. And when she said we should get an electric oven and everybody in Madagascar is like, if they're not cooking on charcoal, it's a gas oven. I think, is that important? And then I realized, no, it is important because that she values that. So I must embrace that value, even if it wasn't my default wiring. And so if you want to build a kind of intimacy you need to start to embrace values that you share. And that's true of the kingdom of God as well. Do you know that there's division in the church because we don't embrace one another's values sufficiently equally. So let me give you an example of the problem with the Pentecostals. I'm saying this tongue in cheek because I love them and I'm probably one of them deep inside. I, I do believe in the gift of the Spirit. I'm not a cessationist. I'm, I'm all that. But you know what? You know what's wrong with those guys? If I were putting myself in the shoes of a conservative, you know, I don't know what you, I don't want to name any rival denomination now. But let's just say they value the Holy Spirit so much. And here's the problem is that a good thing or a bad thing? In other words, if you consider values, Part of the body of Christ deeply values the Holy Spirit and His role in the life of the believer. And there's another part of the body of Christ that deeply values Scripture and the role of Scripture in the life of the believer. Now you know what is amazing? They're both right. 
they're both right to highly value what they highly value. But, but we hang on to our one. This is what my identity is wrapped up in, being a good teacher of the word and knowing doctrine. And I can argue to you, you know, with you about all kinds of theology. The other guy doesn't care. He's like, without the power of God, that could just be dry academic stuff. And so the church sits in this kind of, we're a bit divided because we're valuing different things differently. Now, there's only one thing then that could possibly unite us. Uh, I want to get a bit further in my notes in order to... actually should get to my notes. Sorry, I haven't even been in my notes. So, we'll understand that there has to be some sense of truth or foundation to where we derive our values from in order to converge into that kind of unity that we can enjoy. And we were part of an apostolic, prophetic, New Testament, church planting network movement back in the 1990s. And it was fantastic because they said we do common ventures based on common vision and common values. And so based on being able to share a vision for planting churches, share the value of evangelism through the planting of churches, we could partner as many churches across the globe. And it was fantastic for a season while it upheld all of its foundational values. Sadly, once that entity grew too large to support one of its key values, which was friendship before function or relationship, it became so large it was impossible to have a relationship with all the players in that context. Suddenly we started to feel things breaking down. So again, when your values are shared, you're easily united. Why is it important to know our values? Well. Firstly, you should know what you believe, know whom you believe, that's God. You need to know who He is. Those who know their God will be strong, is what Scripture says. So there's a strength in knowing who you believe. And what we believe as believers, as Christians, is actually a who. It's, it's the Word of God. Jesus is the embodiment. He is the Word made flesh. So it's, it's not even academic knowledge, it's experiential and revelatory knowledge, knowing who you believe. But also we have to know God's character, know the values that He holds dear, so that we can live them out properly ourselves. So you want to be close to God, you want to learn to care about what He cares about. You want to be a professional um, minister in ministry, you don't need to be close to God or care what He cares about, you can just specialize in deliverance. Go lay hands on everything and cast out everything. It's not hard to create ministry, but it's hard to actually learn who God is and become like Him. And so, if you, if you want to know the, the, the root position for my motivation to have right values is so that I can have right relationship with God. See, if God hates sin, and I don't hate sin, there we have a point of disagreement, disunity. I can't be intimate with God while I'm being intimate with sin. Fair enough. So, if you don't cultivate a value of hatred for sin, because God said He hates sin, you can't cultivate unity with God. So our values we have to develop, but we're also now picking values. We're starting to say we want to value the things that 
draw us closer to God, the things that God values. So, it's important to know our values so that we can know whom we believe and it puts handles onto our doctrine. In other words, this moves Christian doctrine from being academic to being alive. It takes you from just saying this is knowledge to saying this is life itself if I live like this. Secondly, in order to disciple, if you look at the basic message of salvation, it's just the start of making disciples. And when, you, when you've identified the things that are important, then you're going to work to impart those things to others. So when you're a believer, and you just like, just want to see people converted but not discipled, then maybe values don't matter so much. But when you're a more mature believer and you say, okay, I don't want this person just converted, I want them conformed to the image of Christ, then you need to have an idea of what is the image of Christ. What does Christ care about? What does Christ prioritize? What does God himself value? And then you start to challenge people to conform. To, to move into those values. But again, you can't do it if you're just hypocritical. People catch what you've got, not what you say you've got. Yeah. In other words, I could say to you, um, yeah, you know, I know, shake my hand, catch, catch measles, you know, from me, transfer those germs. And I say, I give you measles. Receive the measles, catch the measles, know the measles. And actually, if I've got COVID, what's he going to get? COVID, not measles. The whole point is, you, it doesn't matter what you teach. If you don't carry the value in your heart, you're not going to impart it to somebody else. So, discipleship is a transferring of who I am, impacting and shaping someone else to become more like me. And that's why Paul could say, follow us imitate our example as we follow Christ. In other words, you should be influenced through discipleship, not just based on teaching, but based on the actual character of the person who's doing the teaching. There's a mystery in that. It's like an anointing thing. It's like God is doing something and saying, there's, he's bypassing the possibility of just lying and saying, actually, people receive something from someone in that context. Do you know that whole nations have values? Um, the Western nations value productivity. Uh, they value profit. It's celebrated in the culture. They value uh, freedom of the individual. Individual rights are highly elevated and celebrated in Western cultures. And in Madagascar, it's not the same, not the same. The people of Madagascar don't value time the same way that the West does because the people of Madagascar value relationship, community. So as a collectivist culture, uh, hanging out together now is more important than what you have to do in an hour from now. And so forget the schedule if it's nice and sweet now, just be in the moment. And so they'll stay there all day and then, oh yeah, I was also supposed to do that and yeah, I was supposed to be productive, but productivity is not nearly as important as peace with my brother. So, so, so can you see that the cultures that we, we're surrounded by have a value system as well? And again, we can't really be one while you value 
tradition and I despise tradition. So you guys have to give up on that because I'm not going to. Just kidding, just joking. I'm learning to value some of tradition a bit more. Anyway, I'm still on point two. We're able to, we must be able to articulate biblical values to others. And this way we're actually teaching, but not from an academic position, but rather from our lives to their lives. Matthew 28 verse 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there's this, immerse them, baptize them, get them saturated with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all. There's this allness. Like Philippians 3 verse 16 and 17 says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You see, that's the modeling of the value. Walk according to the example you've seen. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So there is a tradition to hold to, but it's a teaching that came through the gospel. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's this propagation. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 is a favorite verse for the guys who want to see generation after generation instructed in the same truth. Titus 1 verse 9 says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So we're talking about DNA, the reproduction, and how we carry over what we have. And one of the interesting things is, if we've not successfully imparted values to the people in our community to unify us, when we grow rapidly, we lose contact with our own identity. What do I mean? Let's say we're all here happy together because we all value um, worship, singing with sincerity and passion, and we do as a church. It's evident during the worship time. But then what if we doubled in size within one month? Sometimes I want to say heaven forbid because it's terrifying. Growth involves the danger of what is called the vertical invasion of the barbarians. Now, the vertical invasion of the barbarians simply means the unenculturated have come in at such a rate, it feels like an invasion, that they take over the culture and change it. We lose our culture because of growth. And that happens in many revival moves, it happens in many uh, churches when they go through rapid growth, they lose touch with who they are because they can't possibly re-enculturate the new people fast enough. So maybe if we were growing a lot faster, we'd be doing a lot more new members classes, DNA classes. So that's the second reason why we should be concerned about values. We should be concerned about discipling, reproducing the kingdom into other lives. Thirdly, it's in order to bring some definition to who we are. And by doing by so doing, when our values are lived out, they demonstrate the distinction, the difference between us and the world. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, Romans 12 verse 2 is very much talking about values where you as a believer need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you're not conformed, you're not the same shape and pattern as the world around you. And by testing, you discern what the will of God is. In other words, this is about knowing what God considers important. Knowing what God values. So, then it's good and acceptable and perfect. So there is, in God's economy, a way that you should live. And you need to find out what it is and start to live that way so that you're not like the world anymore. And that's maturing as a believer. So I think if you are still... Um, looking at life as if it's your own game to play and you're thinking, well, I can, I can drink if I want to drink and you start consuming alcohol and you start to use it as a kind of a therapy because life is stressful and then you drink more than you should and you start to get drunk at times and maybe you get a little bit more unpleasant to be around with the, your family and you... you that's, that's a normal human being. That's not someone that I'm going to come and say like, ah, scandal, shocking. No, that's a normal human being. But the question is, as a believer, are you going to stay there? Or are you going to say, what does God feel about my body, my mind, my relationships? And the Word of God is absolutely clear that we shouldn't be enslaved to anything. So we shouldn't be dependent on alcohol to make us feel good. We shouldn't be given too much wine, it says in the Bible, which means drunkenness is not acceptable in God's value system. So alcohol, though there's no law that says, thou shalt not have a glass of wine, there's plenty of teaching that says alcohol is extremely dangerous, and quite possibly some of us should have nothing whatsoever to do with it. I'm serious about that. I can drink a glass of wine, but I won't drink that glass of wine in front of everybody here. I don't come from a family where there was alcoholism. But I have a friend whose father was such an alcoholic that it destroyed his family. And if that guy sees me having a glass of wine, it's, gonna, it's going to be grieved. So while I have this freedom, I also have responsibility. But I also know what is God's value on this. God's value isn't just freedom. God's value is the sense of stewardship. Stewardship of my body, stewardship of the relationships around me. So what do I do? I listen to the voice of God that says, not in my house. Not in my house. Now, he's not saying not alcohol in God's house, because then all those Anglicans with their nice sherry that they have for communion, you know, have to stop it. I remember as a kid when I first, after being confirmed in the Anglican church, and I got to go up and get the communion. It was like so exciting, man. Communion for a while was like just the experience of tasting alcohol for the first time in my life. And um, it was nice. I mean, sweet. I actually had to go find out what is it, what's the, what actual brand of sherry are they using. It's not exactly sherry, but it's like sherry. And I'm not advocating that you drink it, but it's, it's, it's like a dessert, man. It's sweet, rich. Anyway, the point, where, what was my point? Okay, not in my house. There was this lady in the church I used to belong to in South Africa. She was like a home group leader, small group leader. And um, the one kid that came in there and he was kind of 
naughty, he wasn't well disciplined, and he was taking the sugar or whatever from the sugar bowl and just chucking it on the table. And she said, um, you know, you shouldn't do that. She was probably not that gentle, but she said, sort of stop that. And he, he looks at her and he says, but my mommy lets me do this. Meaning when I'm at home, I can chuck the sugar on the table. And then this lady, whose home it was, gave the little kid the angry eyes that I've seen from her. She's got some really feisty looking expressions. Even at my age, I would shrink and cringe and be afraid. And she gave the boy the angry eyes and said, not in my house, you don't. Now, that's, that's such a wonderful life lesson. Because when you're a Christian, you've come into the house of God. And you're now a member of the family of God. And you're actually free, but now you also should be being transformed and conformed into a new value system. So you should be saying, God, show me your ways. God, teach me your ways. Teach me what's important to you. You, you value some things differently from how I value them. I, I value maybe people respecting me. And then God might come and say, you value that too much. You're not going to be courageous in my kingdom if you're always worried about what people think of you. God says, I'm not a respecter of persons. That doesn't mean we're not to show respect where respect is due or to pay honor where honor is due. But there's another idol that God wants to break where people actually are effectively bowing down to people. And God says, no, you don't bow to a man, you bow to God. So suddenly God's value system is different from ours. Or the way the family works and then, you know, how respect for the elderly operates. It's a good thing to respect those who are older. But what when the older person is a tyrant from the devil and just holds their family hostage with all their manipulative games? Go ask God, is this somebody I must bow to? And God may say, no, I don't want you to be living under manipulation. You answer to me, you don't answer to your grandmother. I say grandmother, we pick on the woman, but it could be the grandfather. He could also be an infantile tyrant. So, our family traditions, our cultural views, they're all corrupted. Some of their aspirations are noble, but some of them are deeply devastated by the sin in the people themselves. And so, it can't be an automatic thing that you just respect a guy because he's got some major position of authority. You should respect the office maybe, but what if the person's own character is shocking and he's falling absolutely short of the office that he occupies? I would name an African president from a country I was born in, but I won't. You, you, Though I can respect somebody in terms of their position, I, can't, I, I think there's another aspect to it. We have to understand what does God value. And He values character. You'll see it in all His leaders. They fail because of character. He disqualifies them eventually because their character, their rebellion against God, their insecurities overcome them. So values begin in the nature and character of God. And they're not really our values, but God's values. And uh, we should look to the Word of God then to see what is precious to God and make that precious to us. Yes. And 
Secondly, on that, that's, that's where our values come from. But secondly, we should understand how we demonstrate values. We can find unique expression, which means our own style or our own form of how we demonstrate a particular value. And while a value is often what we would call, um, it's, uh, it's, it transcends, it's transcendent, it transcends time and generations. How we show that value can change. So radical worship in one generation might have been moving from an organ to a piano. That could have been the biggest revolution that church had in the last 50 years when they left the organ behind and moved to a piano. What was the value that is they wanted radical, passionate worship and the, the instrumentation of the past wasn't actually the correct expression for the present. And so the form is changing but the heart isn't because what we're not saying is that you can't worship God with an organ. You can only worship God with a piano. That's nonsense. In the right generation, the organ was the radical instrument of worship. In the next generation, they needed a piano. In another generation, something else. The value is the same through all generations. The expression can change. And so we end up here. And, you know, for me, this is a, a battle one to get from an acoustic drum kit to an electronic drum kit because it managed to bring us into a place of peace and, and harmony in our worship again. We still fight that battle, but for me that symbolized a transition from an organ to a piano. It's saying the next generation requires a different expression in order to maintain the same value, which was unimpeded worship. Our worship, by the way, was being impeded by sore ears. When we had an acoustic drum kit with this amount of echo, there were Canadians that were going to worship on the veranda outside. I say Canadians, they're not actually in this church anymore. But there were guys who had more sensitive hearing than others who didn't grow up doing karaoke and weddings, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> the point was, in order to bring us back together into one place, we had to find a new expression for the same value. So two things from this. I'm nearly finished. We are not slaves to traditions. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That's Colossians 2 verse 8. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways, traditions, inherited from your forefathers. You've been ransomed from futile traditions that you just inherited from your forefathers. So a good tradition expresses a value in a relevant way. A bad tradition fails to communicate any value. An ugly tradition tries to stay long after its ability to communicate a value has lost its relevance. And some people are still living in the past. They haven't realized that things change while things stay the same. So we must beware of traditions. Like money, a tradition is not inherently good or evil. But they can either serve you or you can serve them. That's right. all it is with tradition. Tradition can either serve you or you serving it.
And I feel the devil always wants us to be serving traditions because they tie us up in bondage. Or we can have traditions that serve us, which are current, alive, fresh. So beware of traditions. When we're attached to them, we're in bondage. And that's a kind of idolatry. And traditions should never be allowed to become sacred cows. You know what sacred cows are? It's when in a particular culture the cow is the idol, it's the God, so don't touch the cow. And then another writer I read once said, sacred cows make good hamburgers. That's the kingdom perspective. The kingdom perspective is tear down the idol. Don't worship the thing that's not supposed to be worshipped. Don't worship the tradition. Worship God. So that's one thing. What was I saying? Two things out of this idea that we, where our values come from. Our values don't come from traditions. The second thing is that we can identify those who are like us. Philippians 3 verse 17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So this is important within the body of Christ that we also start to say, who are those who are running this race with us? And then we identify them and we say, keep our eyes on one another. We'll encourage one another as we fix our eyes on Jesus, of course, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So have you figured out what values you hold? Have you thought about your life and thought, what, what, what do I think is important? Is it just the approval of friends? Or is it the well done, good and faithful servant that comes from God? Is it success or material comfort? Or is it I'm here to serve and lay down my life for others? There's, there's different values and I'm going to look at some of those actual values in the weeks ahead. But I wanted to start by showing you why values are important this morning. And ask you to, for a while, think about your own life and think about what are the things that you are going to decide are important. When, when, when Sue and I got married, we decided that single people were important. That's funny. Why would you decide that? Well, there's this common thing that happens when couples get together, they lose their old single friends and they kind of exclude them a bit. And we said we always want our home to be open to single folk, not as lesser folk, but just as people in a different stage of life or state of life. Because some guys are always single. And we, we've, as a result, our home has actually often had singles sitting around the dinner table with us, not just married folk. And they're included in the community as a result. Because we saw 1 Corinthians, God's word honors singles as much as marrieds. And so we didn't want to live in a society that excluded single folk from the community dining room table. And uh, another value we, we agreed on, we said explicitly, we love hospitality. We want to have a house that has a spare room. Oh, that's outrageous. Not everyone can afford that. Well, that's not entirely true because if you believe, you see in the Word of God, God wants you to be able to be a blessing to others and you think this is a way I could bless someone and you put your faith out, God will honor that faith. And so you might now be sitting in a place where you think, I haven't got the means 
I say just start with faith. If you put it in your heart to become a blessing to other people, set it before God. Say, God, help me to be generous. Help me to open my home. Help me to set a guest room up so that if someone has nowhere to stay, they can stay with me. And God will honor you for your faith. In time, He'll reposition your life so that you can live out that value. If it's a value that is part of His nature. And trust me, hospitality is definitely in the nature of God. And so too, being a blessing to others. Can the band come up? Let's uh, get ready to worship. And uh, in the coming weeks, we'll talk a bit about some of the kingdom values. But I wanted to start with this question to all of us. Have you figured out what values you hold? Have you decided what is going to be important in your life? And then maybe write it down sometime and say, God, these are the things I want my life to live out for your glory. Why don't you stand and we can get ready for worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for helping us to see how much we could change. That there's so much in our lives that can still be aligned to you. And Lord, if we're undervaluing your Holy Spirit in our lives, may we repent today and begin to seek to know you more. If we are undervaluing your word in our lives, God, help us to repent today and learn to study your word deeply. If we're undervaluing generosity, God, help us to set apart some of our lives to be poured out just as a blessing for others. Help us, God, to be transformed, that we would be distinct and different to this world and conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. Let's worship together.